Hello, and welcome again to another conservative historian podcast. This one entitled Ida Tarbell, John D. Rockefeller, and the Falsity of Progressive History. The date is January 2020, and my name is Bell Avis. I did want to note that if you have enjoyed listening to these podcasts or reading content on my website, www.conservativehistorian.com, I would strongly encourage you to go to Amazon, put in Conservative Historian Collected Works, and take a look at my book. It's available in both a hardcover and in Kindle versions. And now, on to the podcast. As listeners to this podcast are aware, History has long been a plaything of ideologues and political operatives. One of the most famous of historical works, Edward Gibbon's The History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, the author links the end of the Western Roman Empire to the rise of Christianity. Though this would be seen not as scandalous today, 18th century supporters of the church were not so sanguine. Biographer David Morris Lowe states, quote, Reactions to Gibbon's treatment of Christianity have displayed various phases. In his lifetime and immediately after, he was attacked as personally ridiculed by those who feared that his skepticism would shake the existing establishment. But in the 19th century, he was hailed as a champion by militant agnostics. Unquote. Though there was a debate about his scholarship, the real concern was over his content. In 1902, when Ida Tarbell began publishing her series of articles about Standard Oil in McClure's magazine, it sowed the roots for today's progressive dominance of history and even was the precursor of critical theory. The Smithsonian Magazine, which is part of the Smithsonian Organization, an entity publicly funded with a budget of over $1 billion from taxpayers, features an article about Tarbell entitled The Woman Who Took on the Tycoon. The subhead even noted, quote, John D. Rockefeller Sr. epitomized golden age capitalism. Ida Tarbell was one of the few willing to hold him accountable, unquote. Even before we get to the body of the essay, there are several things wrong just in the subhead. There were many who were willing to take on Rockefeller and Standard Oil, including the full power of the federal government and many state governments. There were several capitalistic movements of differing nature during the late 19th century, including those who were using the government's own power to quash competitors. But that will have to be a podcast for a different time. The writer of this slanted and biased piece is Gilbert King, a self-described writer of, quote, race, civil rights, and the death penalty, unquote. This descriptor is just the type of writer who finds nobility in Tarbell and bile for Rockefeller. It is insightful that the Smithsonian Magazine editor would choose such a writer. Quote, Tarbell was, in effect, a young woman betrayed, not by a straying lover, but by Standard Oil's secret deals with the major railroads, a collusive scheme that allowed the company to crush not only her father's business, but all of its competitors. Almost 30 years later, Tarbell would redefine investigative journalism with a 19-part series in McClure's Magazine. A masterpiece, masterpiece, of journalism and an unrelenting indictment that brought down one of history's greatest tycoons and effectively broke up Standard Oil's monopoly, unquote. So writes King in almost breathless prose. Where to unpack all of this? 
For one, Rockefeller retired from direct management of Standard Oil 10 years before the Tarbell's publications. Then, when Standard was divided by government fiat, the company's breakup value was twice that of the original, which then made Rockefeller the wealthiest man on the planet. He spent this windfall on everything from the University of Chicago to founding hospitals. We should all be so lucky to be brought down. But the reality of Tarbell's motives, whatever attributions the likes of King provide, was more familial and personal than some sort of moral altruism. Frank Tarbell, Ida Tarbell's father, spent years building oil storage tanks, but began to prosper once he switched to oil production and refining. It was Rockefeller and Standard that did put him out of business. Tarbell gets that right. Tarbell's narrative but was really about a bad business deal, but the Smithsonian article makes Tarbell's story more in terms of a Holocaust experience. King writes, quote, At the age of 14, Ida Tarbell witnessed the Cleveland Massacre, in which dozens of small oil producers in Ohio and western Pennsylvania, including her father, were faced with a daunting choice that seemed to come out of nowhere, sell their businesses to the shrewd, confident, 32-year-old John D. Rockefeller Sr. and his newly incorporated Standard Oil Company, or attempt to compete and face ruin. She didn't understand it at the time, not all of it anyway, but she would never forget the wretched effects of the oil war of 1872, which enabled Rockefeller to leave Cleveland owning 85% of the city's oil refineries. Unquote. Tarbell notes of this experience, quote, There was born in me a hatred of privilege, privilege of any sort. It was all pretty hazy to be sure, but it still was, well, at 15, to have one definite plan based on things seen and heard, ready for a future platform of social and economic justice if I should ever awake to my need of one. Unquote. Tarbell would expand this very personal experience, this very personal viewpoint on the world to the entire economy of the United States at that time. Quote, now, if the Standard Oil Company were the only concern in the country guilty of the practices which have given it monopolistic power, this story would never have been written. Were it alone in these methods, public scorn would long ago have made short work of the Standard Oil Company, but it is simply the most conspicuous type of what can be done by these practices. The methods it employs with such acumen, persistency, and secrecy are employed by all sorts of businessmen, from corner grocers up to bankers. If exposed, they are excused on the grounds that this is business. Unquote. But Tarbell did not write about the sugar, steel, or coal businesses. She didn't write about grocers or bankers. No, instead, she wrote about the company that put her father out of business. So, is this really about Tarbell's view of the Gilded Age, I hate that term, the Gilded Age economy? Or is this really more about her father's bad business deal? She became one of the most influential muckrakers of the Gilded Age, two terms again I hate, helping in to usher that age of political, economic, and industrial reform known as the Progressive Era. Quote, They had never played fair, Tarbell wrote of Standard Oil, and that ruined their greatness for me. Ruined their greatness. Hmm. Tarbell's account was the one that did not play fair, setting the pattern for progressive history itself as noted in the invaluable 
Foundation for Economic Education located at fee.org. That is fee.org. Please go and check it out. It is an invaluable and incredible website. Writer David Weinberger notes, quote, through economic scales, quote, through economies of scale and vertical integration, he, John D. Rockefeller, vastly improved oil refining efficiency, and his business grew as a result. By 1874, his share of the petroleum market jumped to 25%, and by 1880, it skyrocketed to about 85%. Meanwhile, and here is the critical piece, the oil price plummeted from 30 cents per gallon in 1869 to 8 cents in 1885. Put simply, Rockefeller increased production and lowered prices while creating thousands of well-paid jobs along the way. He usually paid his workers significantly more than his competition did. His business was a model of free market efficiency, unquote. Yeah, why should we worry about what the effect is on the consumers? 30 cents to 8 cents. What he did is he democratized oil for everyone. Nothing, nothing in Tarbell's history pointed to any concept of providing a fair and balanced view of Standard Oil. Years before she wrote her work on Standard, she expressed a keen awareness of social problems since her days as a teacher. Tarbell wrote about inequality and injustice and encouraged colleagues at her Connecticut newspaper, the Chautauquan, which she edited in the 1880s, to do likewise. Nor did she or her admirers ever provide one salient fact about business. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, a government entity, quote, approximately 20% of new businesses fail during the first two years of being open, 45% during the first five years, and 65% during the first 10. Only 25% of new businesses make it to 15 years or more. None of that, of course, would be in Tarball's account, especially as it relates to the failed business of her father. To progressives, this can seem cruel, this sort of, you will, disruption to businesses. But to consumers, and even to producers, ultimately, the corollary is that we would still be riding horses to work, going without modern medicine, and hoping against hope for rain, lest we die of starvation because no rain means a bad harvest. That was the world before capitalism, and that was the world before Rockefeller. Here are some of the other balanced perspectives provided about Standard Oil and Tarbell. In a piece called, quote, the Cleveland Massacre, unquote, God, I hate that term, Standard Oil makes its first attack. Writer Dan Bryan consistently falls back on military analogies, military analogies, talking less about a business person and more about a brutal warlord. Quote, when Genghis Khan's army swept through the steppes of Asia, their preferred strategy was to intimidate opposing armies into surrender without a battle. Those who do not submit were treated well, while those who resisted were annihilated. Whether he read history or not, Rockefeller intuitively applied these tactics to the business world. When Genghis Khan sacked Chinese cities or his invasion uh, within the Middle East of the Khorasan Empire, he literally killed tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people who resisted. And this is the man who this balanced writer, Dan Bryan, decides to compare to Rockefeller? At no point in all 19 articles published by Tarbell does she mention the price of oil paid for by the consumer. 
And of course not. That type of balance would not fit the narrative by noting that Standard benefited its consumers and employees far more than any ragtag fly-by-night operation her father had concocted. Her work was always more about Tyrell's ideology and her personal experience with Standard Oil than it was about corrupt business practices or illegalities. Nor was there a Tarbell follow-up. In 1890, Standard Oil's share of refinery capacity was near 90%. That's the number that all these progressive historians love to cite. By the time of Tarbell's account, it had shrunk to 70% in the early 1900s, something Tarbell was aware of but failed to mention in any of her articles. And seven years after her story's publication, the company was broken up by then. Standard had 64% of share and falling. Now, Weinberger goes on to write, quote, In other words, Standard Oil did precisely the opposite of what monopoly theory maintains. It reduced rather than raised prices. It increased rather than cut production. It lost rather than controlled market share. And it's paid its employees more rather than less than its competitors. Yet the theory that Standard Oil engaged in predatory practices and exploited consumers has prevailed in our history books, unquote. In an article written for study.com, historian Nate Sullivan notes, quote, progressive historiography stressed class conflict as the driving force in the flow of history. This conflict was typically between the powerful elite and the people. For example, it might be between wealthy northern industrialists versus southern farmers, labor versus management, or the east versus the west. The progressive perspective peaked between 1910 and 1940. Charles A. Beard is perhaps the most well-known of the progressive historians. Beard is most famous for his groundbreaking and controversial 1913 book, An Economic Interpretation of the United States Constitution. In this book, Beard basically argues that the personal financial interests of America's founding fathers were driving force behind the adoption of the U.S. Constitution. Unquote. Note that Beard's work comes almost a decade after Tarbell's. And one of the most prominent to take up the progressive historian's mantle from Tarbell was Matthew Josephson, cementing the impression first wrought by Tarbell in his Robber Baron's book. It galls me to no end that not only did Twain's Gilded Age moniker, favored by progressive historians, stick, but that Josephson, a socialist, stuck history with the inaccurate, pernicious, and demeaning title of Robber Baron. Then, Arthur Schlesinger Sr. began issuing not just influential books, but also was the first historian to rank the presidents, with Franklin Roosevelt cemented as number three just after the nation's father and the great emancipator. Quote, Arthur M. Schlesinger Sr. was another popular progressive historian, he, too, stressed economic materialism above ideology. A professor of history at Harvard University, Schlesinger's The Age of Jackson remains his best-known work. Schlesinger was innovative in that he also drew attention to women, immigrants, and other minority groups that historians would rehabilitate in the 1960s social history movement, unquote, Ed Sullivan. It is the influence of Tarbell and all these later historians which dominate the narrative of late 19th century American economic history. Now think this is something from 100 years back. The concepts that lay behind the denigration of large American businesses, no matter the benefit to consumers, 
is a condemnation of capitalism itself. That is the real goal. Because their brand of history and reporting, that of predetermined progressive orthodoxy, is the template, not just for journalism in 2021, but the roadmap for universities, K-12 schools, many large businesses, government employees, unions, and a host of other institutions throughout the United States. New York University placed her book, The History of the Standard Oil Company, at number five on a list of the top 100 works of 20th century American journalism. Earlier on, when she talked about some of her feelings, feelings about Standard Oil, note her use of the word privilege. Today, the left wields the word like a club, aimed not at ideology, but rather race, gender, and class. The scholarship is almost beside the question. Pieces are merely parts of history that are cherry-picked to fit into the narrative. And when the concept of practically unprovable, except in education, claims of systemic racism exist, every organization from the Smithsonian to the National Football League rushes to decry the concept. However, in the latter case, the National Football League, it is an interesting position for an organization that is 70% African American and whose average salary is nearly 1 million and is entirely made up of men. I find that always a little interesting that this is the organization that would decry racism, classism, and sexism. This now overweening leftist ideology and its current dominance is a result of false progressive history. One hears stories of children starving in their millions throughout the United States. This is another falsity of progressive history. Attacks on Jeff Bezos as a modern-day Rockefeller, even though Amazon has provided more than 300,000 well-paying jobs and a host of innumerable benefits for Americans throughout the nation. He should be celebrated, but instead is denigrated. The fact that he owns the liberal Washington Post is not even a shield of the politics of envy that are the fruit of false progressive history. King, the writer who places Tarble on a pedestal, calls her an investigative journalist. Interesting use of words by a Pulitzer Prize-winning author. Journalism is defined as follows. The activity or profession of writing for newspapers, magazine, or news websites, or preparing news to later be broadcast. Is a journalist simply a preparer of news, or do they seek it? And if it is the latter, the investigative part is redundant. That is why certain left-wing outlets have created the fantastic new term of explanatory journalism. This term is a double dose of arrogance. An explanation implies opinion, which therefore is not strictly preparing the news. And the concept of having to explain something suggests the recipient is ignorant. One thing to explain to an audience that a hurricane will hit Florida in two days, that is news. But with explanatory journalism, something to convey the news from the greats to the unwashed masses, the recipient will receive the additional benefit of learning the reason the hurricane exists is because of human-made climate change. Explanatory journalism is opinion dressed in the false patina of news and investigation. But then, so was Tarbell's description of Standard Oil. We hope that you have enjoyed this podcast from the conservative historian 
Check out other podcasts and information at www.conservativehistorian.com. This is Bell Avis. Thanks always for listening.